All right. Well, hey, let's do this. Let's greet one another, but it's flu season. So bump fist, but even more, maybe more thoughtfully to the person beside you. Let's just go elbows. Just, just take a second. Let's just say hello to one another. Just go elbow, bump, greet one another. Right on, right on. Hey, uh, quick family note. This morning we were, we were going to do our giving plans where every year we as a community, we practice intention and faithfulness and just say, here's how I as a person, we as a family want to give to the Arrows Out Fund in this, uh, this new year that we're in. But because of the uncertainty of snow and all that, we have rescheduled that for March the 3rd. So just want to make that available to you and just ask you to be prayerfully just kind of preparing for March the 3rd Sunday when we all gather. And that's, that's a time for all of us new or long-time Heartlanders, whatever it might be. So we're in a series. It's called Walk This Way. It's found in the New Testament letter that the Apostle Paul's written called Ephesians. And he's in this very chunky place of Scripture where he's talking about, look, there is the old way that you walked but I'm calling you to a new way. And that new way isn't like just grunt out a more moralistic, like right way of living on your own. He's going, no, look, because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, he's like changed you. Your whole identity has changed and you're now a community. So how in relationship can you walk together in love? in love. And as we've just been saying over and over that as Paul's talking about really practical things like don't lie, don't steal. Uh, he's talking about drunkenness later on. He's talking about uh, sexuality. He's talking about greed. He's talking about all these different things, but through the rubric of going, look, there is a way to live our lives that either breaks relationship or builds relationship. And we're coming to kind of this anchor passage today. I've kind of touched on it as we've gone about because everything kind of like points to this and points back to this. It's kind of the, it's, it's the climax point of this whole passage. But I really haven't taught in depth on it in quite a while. And I went back to find the file when I have taught on this passage previously. It was 19 years ago here at Harlan. So we had to literally go to the unfinished side of our building. On the other side of that big green wall is an unfinished area, looks like a warehouse, and there's this storage area. Had to go into the Heartland archives, and we found the file because I wanted to find resources and pictures and just like, well, how did I teach that last time? And then we found this. <laughs> Can we zoom in on this? Okay, kids, what this is, this is called a floppy disk. <laughs> and everything that I needed was in this locked vault that I can't access <laughs> anymore. Floppy disk. Wow. So Paul, in this passage, Ephesians 5.1, what he's going to tell us is he's going, look, as you, as you begin to walk a different way, as you begin to walk in the way of love, it's going to require imitation. Here's what he says. He begins to, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, therefore, be imitators. And let's just stop for a moment and just ask the question, how does that grab you? Probably not well, because none of us want to be 
imitators, right? We're our own original self. We live in America. We're the individual rug, rugged individualists, you know? It's like imitation is right up there with like conformity. Like who wants that? Like I live my own life. I, I name the way that I want to, like that's kind of the cultural milieu in which we live. And the truth is that every single one of us were made to be imitators. That's true developmentally, it's, it's children. We learn very early on to be an imitator of some, something else. Socially, we imitate. We can't help it. It's just like in us. For our own adaptation, for our own sense of belonging, we are constantly, we're constantly imitating. That word, when Paul uses it, is the word from which we get the word mime or mimic. And when he says, therefore, be imitators, he's actually using this word of becoming, this journey. Like, we should always be imitating. The word is mimetize. We should always be, and this is horrible Greek, but we should always be mimetizing is, is what he would say. And you and I, we do it, whether we like it or not, all the time. From last week, I'm just telling you, there are so many Heartland guys in here who are working on their British accent. <laughs> How many of you were here last week to hear the Brits, now Scott, uh, Aaron Elder? Wasn't he awesome? Yeah. If you're married, you're looking over to your wife. She's like, she has never been more engaged in a sermon ever in my life. I'm going to work on this thing. I'm going to imitate this accent. We, we all do it. Um, I've seen it in my, in my own daughters. Case in point, um, when Elise and I had our three daughters, we went from zero kids to three babies in 14 months' time. And after that third baby, my wife came to me and she said, hey, buddy, it's time for you to take one for the team. <laughs> so I had the procedure. And uh, after that procedure, I walked with quite a gait. I was like, uh, I walked like a cowboy around the house after a long ride. Um, uh, thought, though, that I was being rather, you know, inconspicuous about it until one day I'm filming little year-and-a-half-old Brianna and the way she began to walk. Check it out. <laughs> You're walking like daddy is what you're doing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so it starts young and we can't help it. And in fact, we've been made to do it. The truth though is, is that we can either imitate those that are right and healthy influences upon us, or we can imitate those that are not. We can imitate and walk in a way after someone, or sometimes maybe something, in a way that leads to the breaking of relationship and to the breaking of my even sense of who I am. But there's also a way to walk in the way that leads to right relating from a secure place of identity. So the question becomes, who am I imitating? And how's that working? If we jump to uh, John, he writes this great letter, which is found in the very back end of the New Testament. And he just points it point blank. He just goes, beloved, which means, look, remember, you're loved, you're loved, so do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He just puts it really, really clear. And I think actually maybe for you and I, we, we don't quite have the good and evil lens on. We have, it's a little bit more nuanced, but I still think it begs the question, who has maybe the most influence upon you? Who do you most aspire towards? Who really, if you step back and just go, this is someone I'm studying, this is someone I'm watching, this is someone who has a significant amount of influence upon me. And the truth is, if we're gonna walk in the way of love, we have to be imitators. The question is, of who? 
And Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. Now, what does that do for you? It's like, what? What? Of God? The omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, the, the out there God, the creator of the cosmos. God's like, that doesn't help me. That, that paralyzes me. Like, of God, right? It's like, how do you imitate God? But then Paul gives this really beautiful metaphor for this incredible truth. And we just sang about it. He said, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, as beloved children. How many of you had an opportunity as you were worshiping to take in Amanda Motor as she was dancing as her way of worshiping during that song that I will lean back into the loving arms of a beautiful father. This is such a beautiful image that we have of a God who as father, like we're invited to understand him, not as the curmudgeon judge, not as this capricious one, but as a dad that's approachable, that, that when he looks upon you, it's with affection. And that we're, his, that we're his loved ones. And I know not every single one of us can really relate to that because of our own painful experiences with the fathers and mothers in our own life. That it's hard to understand that there's a father in heaven that we can lean back into his loving arms and we can say it's safe here and we can say it's good here. And I would just, I would just tell you um, that probably the greatest gift in my life, like the greatest gift I've ever been given is that I have two imperfect parents who love God, who love each other, and who love me and my brothers. And it formed me and it shaped me and it brought me into this place of kind of a security that, that I just know is lost on so many. I just know that this is unique. This is, this is such a, a beautiful gift that he's given me. And so when I come to this passage, I get to think about my dad. About how when I was little, you know, and I'd watch him shaving. And I'd say, Dad, I want a shaving. He'd say, okay, take one of the, the razor, but take out the blade. And, you know, and the, you know, pictures of him and I and foam, like, just like out to here, covering my whole face, but I'm so proud that I'm shaving like my dad or polishing my shoes. I wanted to learn how to polish my shoes. Just like It's not like I polish shoes anymore, but my dad did, and I wanted to do it just like him. When I got married, I just, I remember early on in marriage, you know, like in the middle of the night, my wife would just say out in the open, I'm thirsty with no direction to it. You know, it's just, I'm thirsty. And I'd be lying in bed going, is that code, you know? And it was, it was code. And I wanted to say, well, if you go downstairs, there's, you know, I wanted to say, but then I just remembered, my, uh, uh, like years of watching my dad serve my mom. And I was just think, what would my dad do? Well, he would get up, he'd go, and he'd get water for my mom. I remember it was preschool, uh, dad day at preschool. And I was so excited. Like, my dad is taking off the morning from work. And I, I remember saying, I'm like, dad, let's dress exactly alike. And he said, okay. And so he dressed down for the occasion. He wore, he wore blue jeans. I wore blue jeans. He wore this 
belt. And I made sure I had a belt on. He, he wore the striped blue, yellow, blue, yellow shirt. And I made sure I had the exact same shirt. He had a watch on his left wrist. And I made sure I, I, I had a watch. It didn't, it didn't tell me the time and I couldn't read the time. It didn't matter. But I had a, a watch on my left wrist. And I remember even like the part on the side of his head as best I could. I was trying to part and I had hair back then. So I was trying to part, you know, and this whole thing. I'm like, dad, we're going to be exactly alike. And on this floppy, if I you know, could access it, I'd show you this incredible picture of me and my dad. I'm in his arms. And you see blue jean, blue jean, belt, belt. You see striped shirt, striped shirt, you know. You see watch, you see the part. And, and then you see with my, right, with my right hand, a finger going right up to my nose like this. <laughs> Imitating dad. Don't have that picture, couldn't find it, but here is a picture from that very day just to give you a sense. There's, I'm the one on the right, in case you're wondering. There's Danny. See the little watch, left hand. Why do we do that? Why would Paul give us this image? If you imitate, you imitate God as beloved children. What he's saying, he's, he's calling us to walk in the way of love. And what he's really saying to you and me, he's saying, walk after the one who loves you. Walk after the one who invites you. Walk after the one who you can lean back into. That's what you're doing when you're imitating God. And you go, wow, that's beautiful. The invitation of heaven is that I have a father in heaven. I can call him daddy, and he invites me to walk after him and to imitate him, but it's still not super clear, is it? Still like, that invitation's beautiful, but I still don't know how. Well, well, how do I do that? Well, as he goes on to say, and walk in the way of love, he says, just as Christ also loved you just as Christ also loved you. Now we're seeing this beautiful thing open up that kind of brings to convergence a few things. Don't miss this. We are called by this, by this passage to walk in the way of love. Well, how do we do that? Well, first of all, you have the invitation of the Father who loves you and is inviting you to walk more and more towards him in relationship. Last week, we talked about how the Holy Spirit goes with you. He walks with you. Remember this, this whole don't walk this way, walk that way is not this just grunt out a new morality. No, you actually have the Holy Spirit to walk with you in companionship, empowering, and fueling, and changing you from the inside out. We don't do this by ourselves. How many of you remember from last week that great image of the little girl trying to do a Highland dance? And the woman that came by and said, I'll, I'll come and I'll do that with you. Well, it's the same picture of walking along this path of love. If we, we have the God who is love, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Father beckoning, Spirit coming alongside, guiding and empowering. And now, Paul says, we have the Son. We have Jesus the Christ who models this for us. We have the incarnation. We have God who has taken on skin, flesh, bone, heart, personality, passion, emotions. We have one who has walked this path ahead of us. Not only has he made this path possible by his death and his resurrection, but we actually have in his very life someone to imitate. 
And so what do we imitate about Jesus? Well, there's so much. There's so much about the life of Jesus. The first thing is we get to imitate how he related to, the, to, to his father. It's a beautiful mystery. It's a profound, beautiful thing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. One God. But at the core relationship between the three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this core affection, this interdependency, it's just, it's just mysterious. I've just been living in it. You probably just, maybe you're tired of hearing about it, but to me, I just go, the whole premise of existence is upon relationship and love that overflows from Father, Son, Holy Spirit to you and to me. And we see in the life of Jesus that he imitates the Father too. He says things like, I only do what I, what I see the Father doing. I only hear, or I only say what I hear the Father saying. And now I'm gonna give it to you. Do you see the, like this cascading kind of thing? So in Jesus, we get to see how he imitated the Father. In Jesus, we also get to see how he walked in companionship with the Holy Spirit. Just go throughout his whole life, whether it was at his baptism, whether it was in the wilderness when he was being tempted, whether it was all the way in the garden, right just before his, his arrest and, and crucifixion. We see it in his, in his healings. We see how Jesus, as God and as fully human, was dependent upon the Holy Spirit. And then we get just to see how he lived his life as a human being. I mean, if you want to just Go, well, what, what, what does it mean to imitate Jesus? Well, just, you know, go to one of the biographies about Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, right? And just look at the things that, like, like what did Jesus, how did Jesus treat women? We could imitate that. How, how did Jesus do friendship? How, how did Jesus rest and work really hard? How did Jesus make time for the Father? How did Jesus, one who started the greatest movement that's changed all of civilization over the last 2,000 years, how as a, you could say, as an entrepreneur, what are the ways he went about leading to that movement? How did Jesus address the religious spirit of his day? How did he take on the power structures and prejudice of his day? How did Jesus think about and do family? How did Jesus go to parties? What happened at those parties? How did Jesus engage with people? How did, did he ask questions? He asked a lot of them. Did he tell stories? How did Jesus tell stories? How did he teach? How did he do miracles? How did he treat his enemies? How did he forgive? What did Jesus do when he felt betrayed? How did Jesus pursue restoration with his closest friends? He just goes on and on and on. There's so many examples. So when Paul says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved you, he's really saying, so imitate, so follow Jesus. 
And so I, I just want to give us a challenge for this week if you're up for it. Wherever you are on your, your spiritual journey, whether you believe uh, Jesus is the Son of God or whether you're just like, I, I don't know where to put him, that's totally okay. But here's the challenge for the week. Would you read through one of the biographies of Jesus and take maybe one thing that interests you or read through it and just look at the life of Jesus and find one thing to imitate? To be specific, go through the Gospel of Mark. It's the like, quickest read this week. And just go through and find something that you, by inviting the Spirit of God to join you, the invitation of the Father to draw you, would invite you to imitate. What would that be? You might start with a question. You go, I wonder if I could find in Jesus, I'm dealing with this, and so how do I, how do I move out in that? I wonder if Jesus' life might show me. Or you could start with a clean slate and just start reading and and go, oh, wow, that I really want to follow about Jesus. Because see, this is what being a Christian is. Right here. Christian, it's as a term, means little Christ. So anyone that's given their lives to Jesus, we are following, constantly following. Yes, imperfectly, but we're following in the way of Jesus. Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, how would Jesus live your life if he had your life to live? Not someone else's, not that person's, not the, this guy or that guy, but like your life, your story and your backstory, your personality, your, your you know, quirks, your talents, the things that get you fired up, the things that bring you down. How would Jesus live your life if he had your life to live? And what does it mean to simply imitate him, follow him? And the invitation in this is not to do it because you have to but because we're so drawn to his life. When I was eight years old, there's four boys in our family. Uh, I, f I fell third, and uh, my younger brother, Pete, was six years younger than me, so at the time, he was two years old, and we still uh, had a little fun out in the backyard at that age playing in the sandbox until my mom commandeered it for a vegetable garden. So she emptied out all the sand with my dad and they hoisted it up, put it up on the roof because there's not a lot of room in Southern California where I grew up. So you gotta be creative. So they put it up on the flat roof of the garage and every day my mom would take one of those leaning tall extension ladders. She'd lean it up against the, uh, you know, against the roof. She'd grab a hose and then she, with one hand, she would climb on up and get to the top, turn on the water. And, uh, and then she'd water the garden. My brother and I would, would watch her do this every morning and every late afternoon. One day, it's about mid-morning, I hear my mom from the kitchen say to my little brother, hey, Pete? No, no answer. Peter? No answer, and now I know what's coming. Danny? Where's your brother and what have you done with them? You know, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. So we go on a search. We can't find him anywhere. I mean, like, and he's two. So we can't get that far, right? But we're out, out front. We're, we're checking in every room. We're seeing if he's climbed upstairs. We, we're, we're like checking, you know, the washer dryer and the dirty laundry hamper. I mean, we're looking everywhere, inside, outside, back outside, back inside, everywhere. And, and finally, my mom's like, well, let's go back in the backyard. I go, mom, we've checked it three times. She goes, let's just go, you know? And she goes out. And in the backyard, we come out the, the, the back door, and she with like this barbaric yelp, but with her southern accent, she's like, Peter! Peter! 
and then from behind us. But not so much behind as more like above. We hear this, what? And we turn around, and there on the roof is my two-year-old little brother. He's got one foot on the ledge. He's got one hand on a hose. He's got his little Oshkosh cap sideways. He's got blue jean overalls kind of draped, and he's got the biggest smile on his face. He is so proud because he's, he's watering mom's vegetable garden just like mom waters the vegetable garden. He forgot to turn on the hose, but other than that, I mean, he's got this thing <laughs> totally figured out. And think, of, think about this. You know, grabs it with one hand, two, he's two. And he climbs up, you know, this rickety old extension ladder, and then he has to kind of navigate getting around the whole thing. Could you imagine? And he's standing there, delighted with himself. Why? Because he's watched his mom do it every step of the way, every day. But more importantly than that, he's fascinated by it. He thinks that climbing that ladder and watering that vegetable garden is the most adventurous thing you could ever do with your life. And you can just imagine, his little two-year-old brain, he's like, one day, I'm going to climb that ladder. And one day, I'm going to get to the top. And one day, I'm going to water that garden just like mom. He was fascinated and saw there was no better way for him to live his life and give himself than to that. And I just have the question for you and me, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, but maybe for those of us that have been following Jesus for a long time, does he still fascinate you? Does the life and person of Jesus fascinate you? Fascinate means this, to be an irresistibly drawn in. To be irresistibly drawn in and interested by the life of someone else. Does he fascinate you? Does Jesus represent to you the best life if he had your life to live? And what would it look, what would it look like for you and I? Maybe for the first time, to be drawn and compelled and fascinated by this most amazing life, the person of Jesus, or maybe to be fascinated again. So that as we are called to walk this way of love, it's not out of duty, it's not out of I should, it's not to increase my moral character, but because you are the loved one of God. And when God walked this earth, it was the most amazing life ever, and you want that life for you. Let's pray. So, Holy Spirit, I'm just asking this week for us to be drawn in anew. To see the ways, Jesus, that you lived your life that are stunning, irresistible, fascinating, radical. And to know that by way of your spirit, 
we can experience that life too. I'm just wondering how many of us have felt like we've hit a plateau. How many of us have just wondered, is this all there is? My life in God or my life without God? We've just wondered, is this, is this it? God, may we, even as we sing this, this last song, might we hear that invitation from heaven? Might we hear your sweet Father's voice? Saying, come to me. The Holy Spirit saying, here, I'll walk with you. And might we be mesmerized by your life? in all of its texture, in all of the splendor of how you loved and how you lived and how you spoke, how you hurt, how you laughed. Might we be fascinated again?